Well, hello, and welcome to Endeavors. On today's show, I speak with musician Jeremy Taggart, whose debut comedy album with Jonathan Torrens is being released on Friday. As well, I speak with the directors of the great new thriller film, Becky. That's all coming up on Endeavors. You're listening to Endeavors Radio with your host from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, Dan McKee. Well, hi there. Welcome to the show. Jeremy Taggart is my first guest. For many years, he was the drummer in the great Canadian band, Our Lady Peace. But he decided he wanted to change. So in 2014, he left the band and teamed up with the comedian Jonathan Torrens, who listeners may know from Jonovision and Trailer Park Boys. And they started the podcast Taggart and Torrens, where they discuss everything from sports to politics and offer a unique Canadian everyman perspective on the issues. They've also created and invented such games as Poem Saiyan and Colin Pranks. The podcast led to the release of their first book in 2017, Canadianity, Tales from the True North, Strong and Freezing. Now, in this era of lockdown and quarantine, Taggart and Torrance have decided to release their first comedy album. It is called Bads, B-A-A-D-H. And it's what their fans call themselves, and it comes from a term that Jonathan coined on the show as sort of a play off the word bud, because nobody likes to be called bud, but they like to be called bad. he is also a frequent guest and friends with the sportscasters Jane Ray and Dan O'Toole, um, who make an appearance on one of their songs. They had many collaborators on this album, including from the Arkells. Once again, the album is Bods, and it comes out on June the 11th. This is my conversation with Jeremy Taggart. Jeremy Taggart, hello. How are you today? I'm good. How are you doing, man? I'm good. How are you? Uh, how's lockdown treating you? Uh, you know, we're, uh, at least the weather's better, so the backyard is more of a hangout, you know. Uh, just trying to keep active with the kids, yeah. you know, getting them to do their schoolwork and try to get them to bed at a reasonable time and trying to stay active while, you know, not trying to get on other people's toes. <laughs> Have you become more, more of a homeschooler or is it a lot of digital learning? Well, they have uh, the curriculum sent home from their teachers. So each classroom, you know, has their stuff to send in. And so it's just more about getting them to get on the computer to, to, to do it during the day. Cause the last thing kids want to do when it's nice out is, sit in front of a computer and do you know homework but 
Right. It's part of the part of the deal. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, you know, I've I've talked to a lot of a lot of artists in quarantine about how they're sort of handling their time, but you and Jonathan Torrens are releasing an album. Yes, we are on June eleventh. Bods comes out our record. Yes. Hams, so, uh, uh, you know, based on characters from the podcast, and all the characters are so different that uh, it lends them, it lends itself to different genres of music. So, um, it was fun for me to go into the studio and work with Jonathan and have a great time writing just ridiculous songs in any style we wanted. So uh, we went from country to hip hop to spoken word jazz to it's really all over the place. It's fun. You know, you, you've had the podcast for about five or six years now and you had released your book back in 2017. Yeah. Why was it high time for an album for you two? Um, well, I think it's just kind of in the, in the ballpark of what we can do, you know, um, the book made sense because the podcast has kind of been generated on laughs and stories and sharing stories of our lives and our views on stuff. So the book made sense. And um, I think the album in a sense makes the same uh, argument for, for humor uh, based on the characters being so fun and, and, you know, the idea that we can have a, a strip club DJ from Sherbrooke, Brooke, Quebec, you know, make a, a, a EDM jam that kind of <laughs> tells a story of how he is and who, 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 you know, how his ridiculous setup is. And um, it's just, a, it's just a way, another way for us to kind of build our brand, I guess, in terms of what it is. And we do live shows anyway and we perform together. So um, music isn't that much of a step to kind of, to make that a little more solid. Yeah, you mentioned recording, and of course, for many years you recorded with uh, the great rock band Our Lady Peace. Um, how would you compare recording and writing with them versus recording and writing in the studio with, with Jonathan? Um, it depends. I, I think with OLP, um, you know, your role, you're just kind of trying to come up with musical ideas as opposed to uh, the idea of a storytelling kind of situation with a character with, with the TNT stuff. So um, it's kind of uh, the, the best of both worlds, I'd, I'd say, because um, the, the enjoyment of recording is still there and the idea of what kind of... Uh, music you want to go direction wise is there so um with olp there's kind of a lot of you know you put your idea in and it has to kind of go through the the, the channels of three other people so it's a little different when uh it's just me and jonathan having a laugh as opposed to you know let's try and write a song that uh for the for an album that in a sense that's for radio you know you're when you're in a in a band that's that is on radio and you have, you sell records. It's a, it's a kind of a different thing when you're uh, faced with the idea of writing a single, you know, as opposed to just kind of having a blast, you know? So I think it's in a sense, it's just been uh, a little more freeing for me musically because I can go anywhere and do whatever we want. So, um, and as a drummer, that's, that's the best thing for me because, um, 
it's different with guitar or bass or even a singer where you have a certain range that you sing in. With a drummer, um, I always, my father was a jazz drummer and I always grew up listening to different styles of music and always loved different kinds of music. And with drums, it's just tempo and time and it can go in a lot of different ways. And the framework of how different continents drumming from South America to Africa <clears throat> around the world, it, it, there's so many different ways to go as a drummer as opposed to maybe a guitar or a bass player. So it just lends itself easier. And I guess I was always kind of a, a uh, that type of drummer that I was always trying to learn different styles. And my drum teachers were always uh, great enough to, to, to give, give me great ideas and good solid uh, cultural incentives and understandings of, of, of drums and different cultures and stuff. So, um, this album was kind of a, a chance to do that, I guess, as well, uh, as opposed to being in the band with OLP. It's just kind of you, you have a, a, a separate mindset. It's a, it's a little more, um, I guess, defined. You right. know what I mean? And now, the album is called Bads. That's B-A-H-D-S. Uh, yeah. And I read, if this is true, that it's actually named after sort of like the, the listenership of, of TNT who, who call themselves bods. Where, where did that name for the listeners come from? Who, how did that, who came up with that? Well, I mean, Jonathan, when I first, when we first started doing the podcast would say bod <laughs> and then he would write text bod that way. And I was like, well, that's, that's different than bud. And it sounds different than bud. <laughs> and we talked about it on the podcast in the early episodes of what the difference is and because uh, it's kind of annoying to be called bud or buddy <laughs> you know if someone calls me buddy on the street i'm probably going to be more taken back than it feeling cool and happy so there is a difference when someone's like hey bud how's it going bud <laughs> and so you know if it is a different feeling and a different kind of word then you know why not spell it different <laughs> right fair um, the, the new single that I listened to today was Every Animal Sounds the Same, uh, yeah. which is, uh, sort of you and Jonathan parodying the, 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 the children, the, the children's music genre. Um, mm -hmm. where did the, where did the idea for this come from? I know that you, you did you co-write it and produce it with, uh, Anthony from Arkells? Yes, yes. He wrote, he had, he, uh, put the jam and helped us write the jam for sure. Yes. He, he's a such a gifted piano player and songwriter. He helped a lot on a bunch of songs. And this one in particular, he was able to nail that kind of theme park, kids, uh, you know, the uh, when you walk into a, a, a carnival, that kind of idea and high energy kids music, you know? So um, it, yeah, we, we, Aaron Goldstein is another great musician that we worked with on this record in his studio. We did uh, Weekend Bumsies there, and he played the pedal steel. He actually played drums on Weekend Bumsies. So, I mean, uh, during Weekend Bumsies, I had a, a kidney stone. Oh. <laughs> so I was, like, out for the count. So he was an awesome enough to, to, uh, to, to play the drums on that track. But, um, yeah, Adam Baldwin was another great musician that played on, on the record, too, and Tim Oxford from Arkell's engineered and 
helped us out across the board on a lot of different things too. Was since the beginning of this podcast, Tim Oxford's been a part of it. So um, we had a lot of you know great experiences across. We went to Metalworks and the great Gilmore from Triumph Studio, and uh, so um, I guess just to overall the, this the, the, to be able to go to all these different places and record with all these great musicians um kind of capped everything off too for sure anthony's a sweetheart of a guy i know with animals uh jonathan sings all of his verses in french yeah was that there from the start that idea that it would be a bilingual song yeah definitely he had uh uh, well, he, I don't know if he, where he was or if he was growing up and he just, the concept of if you're reading another language book and like, uh, for example, in French, the dog would say ouaf instead of rough. <laughs> or he said, I don't know if it was Switzerland, but uh, a bird goes kick of the key or kikiri key instead of like chirp, chirp. So we just kind of went with that angle of you hear or read in books like, you know, animal sounds completely spelled differently. And we took it up a notch by going to the point of ducks actually saying Chrétien in French. <laughs> and and the pig saying, was it sh sh schrumpf? Yeah, uh, schrumpf. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I know with this, with this music video, and I, and I think with Byron as well, um, you, you, you shot them sort of separately. What's it like for you creating art and creating music videos sort of in in quarantine in lockdown with not not everybody else there to kind of help you, you kind of have to do your part yourself well i think initially we were like this is going to be a hamper on things or a damper on things and it's not gonna it's not gonna work because you know you're not together and you don't you can't do the same things as, as put being in a group and uh you know like you can't do a weekend bumsies video now so um, I think it kind of, and initially we were a little freaked out, but by doing it and going through like Byron and it, it just kind of has, and just finishing Terry Got Wasted, which comes out on the 11th, um, it, it kind of made it better, I think, by doing it on our own because you ended up, by being by yourself, you do more in a sense because when you have a set of five people with all the crew and sound it takes a lot longer just to do one shot but when you're for example me and lisa my wife going into the woods to do a shot you can do seven or eight shots in like 10 minutes and the same for performance and get putting my drums in a boat and taking 10 minutes to do that as opposed to an hour and lighting and all that so um we got what we needed and obviously it's it's not as slick as it would be with a camera crew or a full-on uh, the, the actual equipment that you get but it, it has a great feel and a vibe and we def definitely captured all of the songs and, and uh, in a way it kind of adds to it because it has that element of like everybody's doing it by themselves and I think Terry Got Wasted is, a, is the best example of that because Adam Baldwin shot a bunch of stuff and Dan O'Toole who plays Terry from uh, Sports Center. Terry, Terry Got Wasted is about a guy at the party who gets too banged up and kind of wrecks it for everybody. And Dan played Terry and Dan was a, a super bod and, you know, recorded uh, tons of shots, like 25 different shots 
and Adam Baldwin went and did a bunch of shots and John and Jonathan as well. So we, and me and stunts and stuff. So there's actually points where I'm playing the stunt Terry and Jonathan's playing the stunt Terry. And even Jonathan got his father-in-law to play his stunt, stunt Terry. So it's, it's pretty fun. It's actually hilarious that the, the lengths that you go to, but in a way it's actually probably definitely has more charm this way. Well, and it, I definitely think that the format suits animals, just the whole the whole style of the song. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned Dan O'Toole, and I know you know him and Jay Onright are, are sort of Canada's biggest or at least favorite uh, sports duo. How did you how did how did you two hook up with them in the first place? Well, I think it's actually in a sense the other way around because um, I started doing segments on Jay and Dan's podcast regularly about six years ago and uh jonathan came on there and when i heard jonathan with them who both jay and dan are both our age and we kind of all grew up across the country with the similar media we have the same kind of taste for humor so when i heard jonathan on the jay and dan pod i was like man this is it let's just i was wanting to do something maybe my own podcast which i had done before I did a thing called Taggart's Take that was on uh, radio chorus radio channels at rock stations across the country in like 2006 when podcasts were like, who, what the hell's a podcast? <laughs> but uh, I was going to, instead of doing my own podcast, which is a lot of work, I figured um, I'd, it would be a lot easier if I pick someone that's talented and fun to work with and kind of has a great work ethic as well. And Jonathan, as soon as we did our first one, it was like, this is perfect. Because our conversations, we're laughing anyway. You know, like, I think that's why the podcast does well is because um, it, it is our true just chat every week. We're talking and this is what we talk about. We might have play a couple games, but initially and in the, the whole idea of it was just our interactions and responses to whatever we're feeling and thinking. You know, it, it seems like, with the world in lockdown, podcasts are becoming even more popular and, and even more relevant. But how do you think art, entertainment, and the music industry is going to look when we come out the other side of this? Well, for one thing, um, content has kind of changed. Um, people don't care as much to see a perfect shot in terms of what people are hearing and saying. Um, I think the idea, like we're doing a side door access show on, on June 11th, the day the record comes out, and that's an online show. So you buy tickets, they're lower priced than going to concerts, but it's still a ticket and you're there and there's, you know, uh, hopefully a couple hundred bods there with us, you know, watching a show. And I mean, Dan Mangan uh, and Laura Simpson started side door access, but they've been doing tons of shows. I think they've, they've reached over $200,000 in shows in the last couple of months through quarantine with artists like said the whale, Dan Mangan. Uh, there's, there's been some, uh, Stephen page did one. Uh, if you check said side door access, you could see it's just kind of been a whole new uh, door for artists to, to kind of continue what they're doing and uh, make a little bit of money as opposed to just, you know, having to, to, to just sit and wait for, for people to kind of uh, fill up concert halls again. But it's a great idea. It's been, it's been good. Do you, think, do you think people will 
be hesitant to go to a live show again in the future? Uh, well, I think for a little while, social distancing will probably be in place. So I don't know if they're going to have, you know, a huddled mass of sweaty people in the next, you know, year. So um, I think people will start getting used to kind of being away from each other. Um, and because I think uh, even in places like New Zealand, where they've claimed they're over the hump and there's no cases, I, I don't think that just means they're going to be the same in terms of uh, how people gather. Um, and I think that makes sense until you have an idea or a vaccine that, that's like a quick fix as opposed to an outbreak happening, happening again. So um, yeah, things are definitely going to be different for, for a little while, but I, I think you'll see online shows getting better. Um, they'll probably get to the point where you'll have virtual glasses and you'll be able to, it'll be like you're at a concert that you could never be at anyway with the way it'll sound and the way it'll look. But um, that's obviously a lot different than where we are right now with the, the internet possibilities and the bandwidth capabilities. You know, you'd probably need military grade bandwidth for people to be in different places to perform at the same time because of the, the latency. So um, it's good though. I mean, we're getting there and people are dealing with uh, this through getting their ideas out. I'm, I'm, uh, I think the way the world is right now, it's kind of been content first and production second, you know? Is, do you think then that are the world's or the society's appreciation of art, whether it be music, theater, literature, is that going to be more appreciated when we come out of this? Um, I think so. I, I mean, I would like to think that someone who hasn't paid attention to those things might in this time where you have nothing else to do. But um, I don't know. I mean, are, are creative people not going to be creative? Are people that... Uh, I mean, are there creative people that are dormant, you know, and is this a way for that to, to release? Hopefully, but I have a feeling that a lot of people kind of do their thing no matter what, and they just kind of roll on their own dime, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I know, you know, in the press release for Bads, it says there's, you know, you have a lot of Canadian references, shades of Gordon Lightfoot, Drake, Anne Murray, Gino Vanelli. <laughs> For you, as a musician and an artist, what is the Canadian sound? Do you think? Um, well, there is it's it's there is no specific sound. I mean, I think uh, the sound itself is creativity, and and uh, the diversity goes from there. Because um, there is no Canadian sound. I mean, it, from Neil Young to Drake, it doesn't matter. There's no, oh, that sounds Canadian. Maybe if, if uh, someone was ignorant would think something has a sound like that. Like, cause uh, maybe if there was like, it, even if like two or three bands at one time, maybe from 1960 to, to 1990 were really popular and it was that kind of style and they said that's a Canadian thing. It's still stupid and not true because there's, you know, hundreds and thousands of musicians and artists that uh, people don't even really know about that are complete, for first and foremost, different, you know, <laughs> it, style, yeah. Do you think 
Is there a, a certain Canadian sensibility then, do you think, maybe, just in terms of attitude or our approach to creativity that differs maybe from the Americans or, or from the Brits? Um, well, I think it, it, it's, it all comes down to um, what, we ha what we consume as, as, as Canadians in terms of uh, going to school. So that, that would be the, the curriculum that's taught to us. Um, basing that against other countries you know whether we can do you know is our curriculum does it keep people as creative as other countries i'd like to think so um but um i'm not sure i i uh when you when we try to define a sensibility to a country it just gets a lot it gets difficult because um it depends it depends on what the people are learning and how they're learning it um so i think I don't know, man. I think creative creative people generally just kind of are, and that that they they blossom as as life goes. And uh, I would hope that our curriculums and our system um, is based around the idea of if that happens, and it's it, it's designed to propel that and 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 uh, um, support that. You know. Uh, I, I think it also comes down to parenting too, you know. I think I, I, if your parent read a lot of books, you'll probably read books because <laughs> hopefully they'll tell you that reading is good and learning is good, <laughs> you know. Well, the, the new album is Bods, that's B-A-H-D-S by TNT, Tiger and Torrens, and it's coming out on June the 11th. Hmm. I mean, Taggart, thanks so much, man. My pleasure. It was a great chat with you, man. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Yeah, stay healthy, stay safe. Yes, you too. All right, take care. Ciao. Bye. Right. That was my conversation with musician Jeremy Taggart, formerly of Our Lady Peace, and now part of the duo Taggart and Torrens with comedian Jonathan Torrens. Their first comedy album, Bads, comes out this week. Speaking of comedy, when one thinks of Kevin James and Joel McHale, you probably don't expect them to be starring in an action thriller film. But that's exactly where you'll find them in the film Becky, directed by my guests Jonathan Millett and Carrie Murnian. The film follows Becky, a 13-year-old girl played by actress Lulu Wilson, who seeks revenge after a gang of neo-Nazis led by James take her family hostage at their cabin on the lake. The duo's previous credits include the action film Bushwick, starring Dave Bautista, and Brittany Snow, as well as the comedy horror film Cooties, starring Elijah Wood, Rain Wilson, Jack McBrayer, and Allison Pill. Their new film, Becky, is out now, and it stars Lulu Wilson, Joel McHale, and Kevin James. 
I spoke with the directors, Carrie Murnian and Jonathan Malott, last week. Here is our conversation. Jonathan Malott, Carrie Murnian, hello, how are you today? Excellent, excellent. How are you doing, Dan? I'm doing well. How's, uh, how's quarantine treating you? Uh, staying sane, staying sane. <laughs> that's good, that's good. Um, so, you have a new movie out, Becky. Uh, just finished watching it. You, you work as, as, as a pair. How, what, what's that like working together, creating a movie as a duo? Do you, does one of you work on one thing and one of you work on another, or do you do everything together? Yeah, we've we've been working together for a while, so we've evolved our process uh, over that time. Uh, we started working in uh, animation, which is why we we initially started as a directing team. Uh, in animation, you it's just common. You 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 know develop a story, you do storyboards, you you really plan the process. So once you're executing it, it's all worked out and all thought out, and and you know exactly what you want to do. Obviously, there's a there's a big difference once you get into live action because when you get on set, there's a lot of other challenges and, and um, it's it's different. But that same idea is what's led us uh, into the live action filming world. Is uh, we do a lot of planning, we get on the same page, and then once we get on set, we found that um, it's good to have one person as the point person, um, so there's not confusion of uh, well, I asked Carrie this, and then John said that. You know, we have one of us lead on a, a particular day or a project, um, and that allows the crew and the cast to know, okay, I'm just going to go to one of these guys today, and there, there won't be any confusion. Um, because even though we plan a lot, there's still those, those decisions on set that can be, uh, you know, you just have to make decisions sometimes. So, you know, if in the, in the heat of the, the battle, you know, someone says more blood and the other person says less blood, that just can throw the whole thing in, in in chaos so we've we've figured out this technique with that we have uh context in one ear sound in the other and the contact is uh usually the person uh there's one person on set with uh the cast the, the cast and the, the cinematographer really in it and then another person back at a big monitor um just making sure that visually everything is in in the right place and um also detach from the chaos that they can oversee the whole thing and and give good feedback so um usually we kind of trade back and forth with with that idea of one person's leading um and that that's pretty much how we do it uh let's talk about cast because you've got a couple of comedians uh kevin james and, and joel McHale. what went into that decision because a lot of comedians want the opportunity to play straight but not a lot of them get it how did you come to cast kevin and joel yeah definitely the for us it, it it's that we didn't want to cast a a, a quote-unquote bad guy we wanted someone that was along the lines of what we've read and seen about cult leaders um they're usually really intelligent charismatic um people that can really just uh, win people over with their magnetic personalities. And we really felt strongly that someone like Kevin James uh, fit that bill in, in a really interesting way. He's the type of guy that if you, he rolled up with a baseball hat on and a sweatshirt, 
and you know said he lost his dog you'd be like oh well you know how can i help you not you know uh you know some scary looking dude initially um who was just not articulate and can't ex you know just as like yeah let me in i'm gonna smash your head we, you know we wanted him to kind of smooth talk his way in and then you know just subvert what you know of him and flip that on its head and really um create a kind of weird dynamic for for people that are fans of him um the same with joe McHale. um he usually plays a pretty uh specific type of humor uh, a type of comedy that's uh we love, we're huge fans of Joel McHale and we followed his career, but we were excited to give him this part where he could show a different side of him that's very sincere um, with this flawed father who really is, you know, just doing the best he can, but is, is kind of making a lot of mistakes um, like most parents. Um, so we thought that that, you know, was really cool to see Joel McHale tackle this uh, part that's just, yeah, very different than um, anything he'd done before. Yeah, I mean, Joel, Joel's known for playing characters that are perfect in every single way in, in their own mind. And I feel like him doing this is something that, I mean, he, he's a father who's, who has kids, who he's, he has these kind of situations where he pulls from, and he wanted to kind of show that side of him, and it was, it was pretty uh, fun to see him do that. Your, uh, your lead character is a 13-year-old girl, and I know that Lulu Wilson has done a lot of horror films before. She's done the Annabelle series. But how do you work with someone like that on a film like this where there's a lot of blood, there's a lot of violence, there's a lot of uh, gore and, and, and being mean? How, how, do you, how do you approach that? Yeah, that was, a, that was, well, like you said, she had actually worked on a lot of films. And I would even say beyond the horror, she worked on, on very um, psychologically mature horror thing, horror films or projects like Sharp Objects, where um, I wouldn't say that that's a horror genre movie, but it's so dark. It's darker than, uh, it's one of the darkest things I've seen. Um, it deals with um, just really horrible incidents in the past of women and uh, violence towards women that uh, I think takes a, a really strong, um, mature actor to be able to, to handle. And so for us, it was, um, you know, just communicating with her and the family, um, Lulu's family, about her being able to cope and understand that. And she she is just mature beyond her eight, her, her years. And it, it shows in her performance. You know, you look into those eyes and um, I have a I have a 13 year old boy and um, he has a he has, just has a certain innocence to him that most 13 year olds have. And uh, Lulu has eyes of like a much wiser and older person. and um, and not only does she have that look and the, um, the physical attributes to, she also has the talent and the skill to be able to tap into something that's so dark and so um, insane uh, and just let it, let it rip. But, um, and, then, and then she laughs and then she's like, as soon as she, uh, she gets on set, she's like playing with the dog and you know, finding different uh, uh, insects around in, in the woods and having her mom is always there. And, having home with her mom and the teacher. So it's, it's pretty remarkable how she's able to kind of uh, know that what she's doing is playing a character and not getting too lost in the fact that these are feelings that, that she has to feel. So it's, it's what, it's what uh, mature actors, actors, actresses do when they're in their 40s and 50s, like she's doing when she's 13 years old. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty special. One scene that 
I I guess I found difficult to watch without giving too much away was what I'll what I'll call the eyeball scene. Um, mm -hmm. How how was that shot and crafted? Because that seemed like it it had to be very specific in a lot of ways. Yeah, definitely. Um, we worked really hard to make sure that those scenes were, in a way, uh, really pushing the the boundaries of taste and uh, intensity because that's kind of. For us, it's like, why would you come to see a movie like this if it was just going to play it safe? Uh, we wanted those those moments to be shocking and, and something you'd never seen before. Um, so that means for us is that just really pulling on every aspect of our, our filmmaking um, uh, kind of tools to, to make it that way so that means let's get a macro lens and, and get in there as close as possible let's um let's get uh the makeup visual effects to craft uh tendons and and body parts um that are you know that the actors can interact with and cut and then when they cut there's actual real tangible blood squirting out of um so we work with you know camera we work with makeup effects um we work with the actors so we have um Kevin and Kevin James just, um, you know, digging deep and really expressing the pain of what it would feel like to, to cut off a part of your own, your own body. Um, and then the, I think the final, final real key to uh, making those, those moments sing is the sound. Um, so we we talk about that. You can't just go to a sound library and type in uh, a sound effect for a uh, cutting tendon and get a sound effect. You have, to, you have to imagine what that sound would sound like and um, explore that and put it in. And once you get that in, it really makes that emotional and uh, um, pain feel, come through in a way that without it, it you know, it's just, um, it's just a visual. You need the sound, the visual, the performance all to come together. On, on that note, for you, what makes a good film what makes a good horror film yeah for for us it, it really comes down to that that setup the the motivation of the characters um for us a good revenge film doesn't work if there's no motivation to have that revenge um you really got to set that up in the first act and and take your time and and hopefully that that's something that we're able to do while keeping the the audience interest is, is really getting to know the characters and and why uh, in particular with someone like Becky why doesn't she just run away her dad says to run away but uh, in the end she doesn't and that's something we worked hard to, to make sure that uh, she really wants to get revenge because uh, in the end everything is taken from her and as a kid you know the there's no uh, there's no off switch. Once the on switch is turned on a kid, it's like full steam ahead. Um, so, so for us, that that it just comes down to that. Let, let's have the motivation, and then once the the fun starts, you're you're engaged and you want to keep following because you you want that revenge alongside the character. It's the same way of you know the, the main characters. Why why uh, we all re react so strongly to the main characters in Old Boy and Kill Bill is that both of those characters are wronged in ways that we we can believe that they will go on this rampage for a very long time to get back at people who did think did things to them. And we feel like the character in our movie, Becky, like th things are done to her in a very compressed timeline that will make her do things that we didn't expect her to do. 
Um, and that's, that's what we want to do with, uh, with Becky. How closely did you work with the three writers um, from when you first got the script to, to, the, to the final product? How, how much did you work and change the script, if at all? Yeah, the, the way it came to us was the, the original script by Nick, and we just loved the premise. Um, but I think um, it ultimately was his first script. Um, so even though we loved a lot of it, we loved the, the, the general structure and the, the idea of this 13-year-old girl exacting revenge, um, I think we, we had a lot of ideas of how we could uh, get it to the point where it was ready for filming. Um, so we, we pitched that to the, to the producers, and that's what we did, was we took that initial script and then worked very intensely with the uh, Ruckus and Lane, um, the, the other writers, to to get it to that point where we felt it really delivered on the premise and and had all those character beats that we we just discussed about you know making sure she had the right amount of motivation and you know she was there um, for a reason. Um, so we yeah we were once we did the pitch and we worked uh, extensively with the writers. What ultimately do you think happens to Becky? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I think for us, that's one of the, the kind of differentiators of this movie in your typical revenge or, or, or any type of film where the, the protagonist usually will maybe just get revenge and, and that's that. I think uh, we set up a few kind of twists and turns in it that in, in the end, the, the actions of Becky um, could be questioned as uh, ethically and morally uh, just, you know, it, it could be, I think you could go both ways. And for us, that, that's what's interesting about it is that it's, um, uh, it, it's, it, it's a question. And I, hopefully you leave the film and you could have a debate about um, if what she did was right. Um, so I think in the end, and, you know, uh, after the climax and we we're kind of wrapping up the film and we, you know, we see her reaction um, to what has happened. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I think it's open-ended in a great way. And, I, and the way we even start the movie is by putting you right inside um, Becky's head and her telling the story. And she can be an unreliable nar narrator. Like where, you know, she's telling the story to people who are, or adults are asking her about these things. and you know, is this story true? Is it not? Like what, what actually happened in, on these, in, in this location is, is all up to like how much you trust her and how much you, uh, you, you trust what's, what's going on inside this place. So we really like that kind of premise, how we set that up. Well, the film is Becky uh, and it is out on June the 5th. Carrie, Jonathan, thanks so much for your time this morning, man. Thank you. Yeah, you too. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. All right. Have a good one. You too. You too. Bye. Thanks, everyone. And once again, that was my conversation with directors Jonathan Malott and Carrie Murnian. Their new film, Becky, is streaming now. That does it for me today. My thanks to Jonathan and Carrie, and my thanks to Jeremy Taggart. Hope you're staying safe and you're staying healthy, and I'll see you next time. Bye for now.
artists like to have a lot of sex. <laughs>